Welcome back to our study of the Psalms. We are looking at Psalm 10 today. And as we begin to look at Psalm 10, I want you to think about what kinds of circumstances or events, whether in someone's personal life or in the world, cause people to wonder why God feels so distant or sometimes even to ask, you know, God, where are you? Psalm 10 uh, starts with that kind of question. Verse 1 says, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? So the writer of this psalm is asking, you know, when things are bad, why does it seem like God is nowhere to be found? When, um, why are there times where it seems like God is distant? Now we know that he's not actually distant in, uh, because the Bible says that the God is present everywhere, right? He's omnipresent. Uh, psalm 139 talks about how there's nowhere we can go to flee from his presence. But there is a sense in which God sometimes seems distant or far away or seems to be hiding himself. And so that's what the psalmist uh, is asking about here and, uh, and uh, expressing and, and reflecting on here in this first verse. And we find out the reason why he's asking this question in uh, verses 2 through 11. Right? So verse 2 says, In arrogance the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. So let's just pause there for a moment and notice that uh, what is concerning the writer of this psalm is how the wicked are pursuing the poor, right? They are seeking to take advantage of the poor, those who are weak, right? And those who are um, maybe uh, powerless or at least have less power than uh, the wicked. They're people who are vulnerable, in other words, and these wicked people are seeking to take advantage of them. And uh, these wicked people he's talking about, they don't fear God. They don't care about God. It says in verse 3 that they renounce the Lord. They want nothing to do with him. Uh, they're arrogant and boastful. They're proud. Uh, he says in verse 3 and verse 4, he indicates all those things. Uh, at the end of verse 4, he says all his thoughts are that there is no God, right? So that's who he's talking about. That's the scenario that he's addressing. And not only that, but he says in verse 5 and 6, his ways, talking about the wicked, his ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. So the reason why this is so distressing, or part of the reason why this is so distressing, is because not only is this wicked person uh, pursuing the poor to take advantage of them, but he seems to be getting away with it. He's prospering. Things seem to be going well for him. And this person in verse 6 is not even afraid that anything bad is going to happen to him. He's confident that things are going to continue to go well for him. And of course, the the person who's writing this psalm does not want that to happen. He doesn't want the, the wicked to be able to continue to pursue and take advantage of the poor, but that's what seems to be happening. And so verse 7, it says, His mouth, talking about the wicked still, His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under His tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages, in hiding places. He murders the innocent. 
His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. They are, uh, me, the helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. Okay, so here we see that the wicked is, uh, they are wicked not only in their speech, but also in their actions. The wicked is compared to a, a lion who is ready to ambush his prey. Again, he mentions uh, the poor in verse 9. Uh, he mentions the helpless in verse 8, uh, also the innocent in verse 8. And so these are the people who are suffering as a result of the wicked. And uh, they're being crushed, he says in verse 10. Um, they fall by his might. And verse 11, it says, it's talking about the wicked again. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. So the wicked are saying, earlier that there is no God. Now they're saying, God doesn't see what I'm doing. God is not paying attention. There's not going to be any accountability, no justice, no judgment. I'm going to get away with this and nobody's going to stop me. And so uh, that's the problem that the author of Psalm 10 sees. That's what's causing him to cry out in the first verse and say, essentially, God, where are you? Why, when these terrible things are happening, does it seem like you are nowhere to be found? That's what he's asking. So now in verse 12 to 15, he's going to make his request to God. God, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I'm feeling and experiencing. Here's what I'm seeing happen to the weak and vulnerable. And so here's what I'm asking you now to do. Verse 12, arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see. For you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. Okay, so here's what he says is happening. He, well, or here's what he's asking God to do. He says, God, I'm asking you to move, to act, to do something. Lift up your hand, he says in verse 12. Forget not the afflicted. That means... It's not that God doesn't know or that God has literally forgotten because we know God knows everything. But when the Bible talks about God remembering something, it means he's about to act. Like when God remembered Noah in the book of Genesis, it meant that God was about to remove the waters of the flood for Noah's uh, sake, right? So that Noah could come out on dry land again. So when he says, don't forget, it doesn't mean that God has actually forgotten. It just means God, we want you to act. We want you to do something now. And in verse 13, he, he talks about the fact that the, the wicked, he says, says in his heart, you will not call to account. Talking about God, not calling to account. And he's basically saying, God, I want you to act so that the wicked can't say that anymore. They are saying that because for now they are getting away with it. And it looks like they're not going to be called to an account. And so what he asks him to do in verse 15 is, Call his wickedness to account till you find none. So make him accountable. Make him be accountable. Make him give an account now for his wickedness so that his wickedness will stop. Right? And then verse 14, he reminds himself and reminds us of what we know is true about God. That God does see in verse 14. God knows 
about the wicked and the evil that's going on in the world, even when it seems like he's not paying attention, when we wonder, like, why did he let this thing happen to this person or or this, you know, terrible natural disaster or, you know, this is a question people were asking uh, after 9-11, I think. You know, why, why did God let this happen? Uh, did he not know about it? Is he not paying attention? Does he not care? None of those things are true. God does know. God does pay attention. God does care. And the psalmist is reminding us and himself of that in verse 14. Um, and he says also there in verse 14, to you the helpless commits himself. Right? The, the person who's vulnerable and weak, they trust in you. They commit themselves to you. And then he says, you have been the helper of the fatherless. Right. So one of the most vulnerable people is those without a father, an orphan. Right? And so he says, God, you have cared for the weak, the vulnerable, the orphan in the past, the fatherless in the past. And so we, you know, what's implied there is that's, I think that's why uh, the vulnerable are trusting you now, right? To you, the helpless commits himself. Why? Because it seems like he's implying you have been the helper of the fatherless, but also he's saying, God, this is what we want to see you do again. So he's asking God to respond. And then he uh, assures himself of what is true in the last few verses, starting in verse 16. It says, the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. So he reminds himself that God is king and that's never going to change. God is king forever, he says. He also says that God hears, he listens to the desire of the afflicted, those who are suffering. God knows about it. God hears it. And he says, you will strengthen their heart, so you'll encourage them and sustain them. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. So you are going to help them. You are going to do right by them. You are going to intervene on their behalf. Uh, and then at the end there, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. God, you are going to set this right so that wicked people no longer cause uh, the, the weak and vulnerable to fear because you're going to put an end to all that, which we know uh, at the end, after at the return of Christ, he will. Right? So... Um, God reigns, right? Despite what the wicked think, uh, God does hear the cry of those who are oppressed and God will act for the weak and the afflicted. Now, quickly, let's talk about how this psalm uh, is connected to Jesus and how we can pray uh, from this psalm. How is this psalm connected to Jesus? Well, one, we can think about Jesus's own experience of God's distance, so to speak, when he was on the cross. Remember when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, Jesus, at the moment of his greatest suffering, uh, experiences in some way, right, this forsakenness. Uh, and so he can uh, identify with the, the prayer of verse one, right? The God at times seems distant. Uh, also, think about the ways in which uh, the Pharisees of Jesus's day might fit the description of the wicked in Psalm 10. Look at Matthew 23, for example, um, and maybe put that alongside of Psalm 10 and see if you see uh, any comparisons there, any connections there between how the wicked act and how the Pharisees acted that Jesus, of course, rebuked and opposed. 
Uh, also think about how Jesus himself acted on behalf of the suffering and called the wicked to account, right? He rebuked the Pharisees uh, for their sin and hypocrisy, and he showed compassion. When, the, when um, you know, those in need cried out to him, he heard their cry. He responded to them. Uh, and then think about the fact that Jesus himself is king, and he's the one who's going to return uh, to judge. And so uh, that's, that's true of him. Right? He is the king who reigns forever and ever. And then how can we pray from Psalm 10? Well, first of all, we can recognize, right? We ought to realize that it's okay to tell God when he seems distant. Uh, it's okay to say, God, it, it seems like you're not seeing this or not hearing these prayers or it's, it seems like you're far away. I know you say that you're not, but that's what it feels like right now. That's okay to tell him that. Nothing wrong with that. It's also good to protest against the wicked in prayer. To pray and say, God, this should not be happening. They should not be getting away with this. Please stop this, right? So it's also right to ask God to act, to do something, to intervene. And then finally, it's important for us to remember who God is and what he will do. It's something you see, uh, we see in this psalm, and uh, I, I suspect you see it in a lot of psalms, that even though there's distress and concern uh, expressed early in the psalm that by the end of the psalm there's some resolution there's some reminder about who God is about God's promises uh, the, the psalms tend to to end even when they begin with um, fear or concern or uh, or something that needs to be remedied they tend to end with faith trust confidence in God and who God is and the fact that God will act so I hope studying this psalm brings you that same kind of confidence, hope, and trust in who the, who the Lord is and what the Lord has promised to do.